the word. Luke 14, 25 to 35. And it reads, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he returned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it to begin to mock him, saying, This man to begin to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, would not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, will the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has an ear, let him hear. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. That was terrible. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, thank you. That's more for me than you. It gets my uh, energy going. Uh, just one other quick announcement. If you see Miss Jerry uh, this morning, tell her thank you. She did an amazing job yesterday with decorating and getting everything together. So uh, she's not here, but let's give her a round of applause. Uh, you might want to tell uh, Jack as well, because he had to miss part of the uh, game last night to help clean up. So uh, it was a great game. Um, if you're a UT fan, which I'm not, so um, this might be my last Sunday after saying that. I'm just kidding. There is only one UT, right? University of Texas. That's the only UT there is. There's only one orange. It's called burnt orange. Let's get into God's word. This is going south fast. Now, if you see uh, Jerry Teller, thank you. She did a, a great job. And, you know, just reflecting with uh, Pastor Joshua and Miss Jerry, I I'm grateful for uh, God's provision on us to give us two people that love children and love young adults. Um, they are not uh, the future of our church. They are our church. They are very much a part of us. Uh, we, uh, Paul says, let's not look down on them because of their youthfulness, but in every way encourage them to carry uh, what God has entrusted in us into them uh, to, to continue God's legacy here at this church. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 14. Pray with me this morning. God, we come and we open our hearts uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit that he uh, would give to us exactly what each of us needs. 
I pray that we'd leave here encouraged this morning. I pray that we would leave here understanding what it means to follow you. What is the cost in our lives? What will it cost us to follow you? I pray that you would use your word that's inerrant, uh, infallible, and inspired by you, given to us as the greatest gift outside of Christ to us to help us uh, follow you. And so this morning, do that in our hearts. So lead us, guide us um, through your word. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus and God's people said, amen. This morning, we are going to look at the cost of discipleship. I want to start with a story, though, uh, and, and this is what we have to ask ourselves. And I want you to be honest. Anyone in the room ever cut corners? Okay, half of you are telling the truth and the other half is not. Here's how I know we cut corners. I used to cut corners. I don't know if they do this anymore, uh, but as I've gotten older and Tennyson's come to me with math, there's like a new way of doing math or it's an old way, but the way that I did math was this way. Anyone else do this? Uh, all the answers were in the back of the book. And so all you had to do was like, write down the problem, go to the back of the book, and write down the answer. But there's this thing in the middle called an equation. And so you have to know the equation to get from the, the problem to the solution. But all I did was jump to the back of the book and find the answers. And what happened on test day? I had cut a corner to get an A on my homework, but I had no idea how to do it. And now it's paying off poorly for me with Tennyson because Tennyson comes to me and she's asking me simple math equations that I ought to know but when I was her age I didn't do the work to get to the answer to help her and that's a silly example but I wonder for us and Jesus is going to talk about this this morning how many of us cut corners in our relationship with him. How many of us think all I have to do is this and this will equal this. But as we looked at last week and we're going to look at again this week and next week, there are no cutting corners in the Christian life. Jesus said last week in the text, narrow is the door and it's hard to find that door. And yet so many of us have been fooled to think it's a wide open door that anyone and everyone can go through. But Jesus tells us clearly that's not the case. And now again, he's going to tell us, hey, you ought to count the cost of what it means to really follow him. My fear for us is so many of us have cut corners in our relationship with Jesus. And we think all that our relationship with Jesus has to be is this. One simple prayer. All I have to do is walk an aisle and pray a prayer. That is the beginning of the journey. That is not the, the, the whole of the journey. You see, just in the same way as that math equation is, A plus B will always equal C. But there's this equation that we have to go through to get to the C. It is what we would call and the Bible would call sanctification. The ongoing process or the ongoing equation to become more and more and more like Jesus. He says, Jesus himself, 
be holy for I am holy. That is not a one-time event. That is an ongoing process. My fear is, though, we take the shortcuts. And the shortcut is we don't invest in God's word for our lives. We, we see this throughout the world. We see this throughout the Christian world. That, that it's like all I have to do is pray a prayer and then my life doesn't have to change at all. I don't have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I don't have to stop stealing from my workplace. I don't have to stop cheating on my wife because all at the end of the day, all I have to do is pray another prayer. What a cheap relationship with God. What a shallow relationship with God. And so this morning, I want to ask you the question that I've been asking myself is this, are there any places in my walk with God that I cut corners? Any place in your life, my life, the life of this church that we cut corners, are we really going to cost, count the cost of discipleship? That is what Jesus is talking about here. Remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, Jesus was teaching all these people how, how, who he was, the power of who he was. And then in Luke 9, 51, he set his eyes, mind, heart, body, soul towards the cross. And then setting his mind, heart, eyes, everything towards the cross, he begins to tell people what it means to truly follow him. Because what was going on, there's this massive amount of people that were following Jesus because it was the thing to do. Because they would go to Jesus and Jesus would start handing out free food. That's the feeding of the 5,000. And then they would go to see this show that Jesus was putting on. What an amazing show it would have been to see people raised from the dead, to see people blind come to sight, people that couldn't walk, walk. That would be a great show to be a part of. And here, again, Jesus is going to say to them, and you see it from last week, the narrow is the door. He's going to talk to them about this wedding feast. He's going to talk to them about the great banquet in chapter 14. And now he says, and he turns to the crowd, all those people that were coming to him because it was the cool thing to do. And he turns in that moment and he said to them, do you really want to follow me? That's in essence that question. Do you really want to be my disciple? Do you just want to follow me because of what I give to you? The entertainment? Or do you truly want to follow me? He now says, this is what it really means to follow me. There are those who follow Jesus, and then there are those who are really followers of Jesus. You hear the difference? There are those who follow Jesus, and then there are those who are truly followers of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means I must do what Jesus says to do. To follow Jesus means I can kind of come along and decide what I want to do. And now he says, count the cost. He says, count the cost in three ways. 
In three relationships, you must count the cost of what it means to truly be my disciple. He says, count the cost in your relationships. Count the cost in relationship with yourself. And then lastly, count the cost of what it means to be and have a relationship with the world. So relationship with others, relationship with self, and relationships with the world. And then he's going to give us an application in the last few verses of what that needs to look like. What does it look like to have a relationship with all of those three things? So let's look first. He says this in those first two, one and a half verses. He says, now a great crowd was following him. And he turned to them and said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, what a strong word to use, hate. He says to them, if you don't hate all these other relationships, you can't really follow me. Now that is one of those places in the text in God's word that's like, man, are you contradicting yourself? Is this a straight contradiction of all the things you've taught? Does this go against uh, the the first law, one of the first laws? This would be the the Ten Commandments. Law number five was what? Honor your father and mother. And now Jesus says, hey, you've got to hate them. So when we look at the text, it'd be like, are these conflicting? He then says, not only are you to hate your mom and your dad, which... For some, it's easy. That's not what Jesus is talking about, I promise. It's not like, oh, finally, i got to pass to hate my parents. And then he says, or you're going to have to hate your wife and children and brothers and sisters. Hate them all, is what Jesus says. What he's saying is he's making this comparison. The comparison is how you love me, it ought to look like you hate everything and everyone else. But how many of us, and he's talking to a culture that would be this. When you came to Jesus, a lot of those people had to renounce their whole family. That's still true today. Like there's brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. When they come to Jesus, they literally have to turn their back on their family because their family is turning their back on them. And I just wonder for us, how many of us want to hold on to relationships with others and God equally? And we're not willing to renounce other relationships. And that is what God is saying. If you really want to come after me, all other relationships cannot compare to me at all. Your love for me must look so drastically different than the way you love other people. It must look like you hate them. So he's using this compare and contrast. He's not literally saying hate them. He's saying, does your love for me look so much so that you hate other people? How many of us have not count the cost in relationships? How many of us have held on to relationships when we know God has told us to let go of relationships. How many of us have unhealthy relationships that really hinder our walk with Christ? I know that we have people like that in our church. 
I know there's people listening online that they're trying to hold on to relationships. And it's so clear, like, let the relationship go. Because it's hindering your intimacy with God. And so I'd ask you first this morning, are there any relationships in your life and in my life that we must let go of? Now it's going to be painful and it's going to be costly. I want you to think, and I'll use an illustration, there was a number of people early on in my walk with Christ that I had to simply let go of. I was 18 years old. And my friends were going one direction. And I came to Christ and I had to start going the opposite direction. And and there was this moment of tension for me. And the moment of tension was, I I don't want to lose my friends and I want to love God. And so I tried to do both. And in doing both, I harmed myself. I made some poor decisions. Because I still wanted all these friends. But I had to be willing to forsake those friends to go after Jesus. Is that true for you? And if so, what are those relationships? So the first is relationship with other people that we must count the cost. The next, in the next two, two verses, he says this. You've got to look at your relationship with yourself. Right? He then says this. After saying, hate all those people in comparison to your love for me. He says then this. Even your own life. You have to hate your own life. If you do not hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And then he says it this way. Count the cost. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. How many of us want to hold on to things for ourselves because it's comfortable? Like the love of self is overwhelming in our country. And, and it's, there's a propaganda about that. Like just come to self, just have self, self, self. And what God is saying through Jesus is this. You've got to literally hate yourself. Here's how James, here's how Jesus himself says it. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Whoever would what? Save his life will lose it. Or whoever would protect his own life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. Paul says it this way. For me to live is Christ and to what? Die is gain. But how many of us feel like this? To live for Christ would not be a gain. It would be a loss. Like how many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we follow God, would really do we really want to lose ourselves in following God? If we're honest with ourselves, there's places in our lives like, like, no, I want to still remain selfish. Like, I'm going to get mine at all costs. Am I the only one in the room? 
In the world of addiction, it, it, we say it this way. I want what I want when I want it, and I'm going to get it how I want it. There's no loss of self in that. I'm going after me, and it's all about me. Do we not live in a world like that? We're not really willing to die to self in our own selfish desires. Paul again says it in Galatians 2.20. For I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying this, are we willing to take up our own cross and follow him? Now, the cross that Christ is talking about is not that cute little gold chain you wear around your neck. Like, in that day and age, to be crucified was the most humiliating way in all the ways to be put to death. Like, there was no more humiliating way to do it. And what they would even bring more humiliation, we see in the life of Jesus, you had to carry your own cross. Like, hey, you're going to die, you're going to die on that cross, and you've got to carry it to where we're going to kill you. And then we're going to strip you all the way down to where you have no clothes on, and we're going to hoist you on this pole in front of all to see. How humiliating would that be? And then the agony. It wasn't a quick death. It was an agonizing death in humility in front of all to see. And that is what Jesus is saying that we must take up if we want to follow him. We must put ourselves in such a place of humility in front of the world that they would see us and want to mock us, but we're willing to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the cross I want to take up. I'm like, ah, is it, there's got to be another way. There's a saying that goes this, the easier, softer way. How many of us want the easier, softer way? Like, I'm kind of willing to die for Jesus, but not that way. Which really means I'm not really willing to die. Because there is only one way of death. It's through the cross. Are we willing to lose our relationship with ourselves in order to follow him. It's costly. It is costly. The next is this, and he uses these two illustrations. The two illustrations are about the man in his tower and the king and his army. But it has everything to do with the relationship with the world. He says it in the text. Let's read it together. He says in verse 28, for which of you desires to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is, has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it mock him, saying, this man began to build and it is not finished. The first place is the man in his tower. What, what many scholars believe is this, is that he had this tower. It was a watchtower to oversee his land, that any invaders would come in. He'd have someone positioned up there to watch over his land to make sure there were no raiders. If the raiders come, they could see it and send out people to protect their land. And so what this man did was he didn't sit down and call, count the cost. And what it would cost him 
with his worldly possessions to build this tower to protect his land. The next is this. One is involuntary, one is voluntary. This is the involuntary one. What about the king and his army? He, he says this, Jesus says it in a parable. He says, or what about a king going out to encounter another king in war? Will he not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who is coming against him with 20,000? And if not, why the others yet a great way off? He sends a delegations and asks for terms of peace. There's these two things that he says in relationship with the world. What are you willing to lose to gain what you do not have? And yet so many of us aren't willing to lose what we have to gain what we do not have. We do not count the cost, the literal material possessions that we have in following Christ. What is it in your life and in my life that we hold on to in the way of material, of a way of like just like protection? And so what Jesus is saying is we've got to count the cost. And my greatest fear for the American church is this. We have sold a bill of goods to people that don't have to count the cost. If we don't tell them the truth about what it really looks like to come to Jesus. We, we simply say, come to Jesus and you don't have to go to hell. Now, that, that's part of it. That's just not all of it. Like, that's the end of the story. Like, come to Jesus, don't go to hell. But there's this thing in the middle called life. And so many people don't want to count the cost of living as a disciple of Jesus. Again, whether it's through relationship with others, relationship with yourself, or relationship with the world. And so what we do is we give them this bill of goods that says you can just come to Jesus. Now, we don't say it this way, but go ahead and live the way you want to live. But we're not calling them to something more. What if we sat down and told people, hey, this is what it's going to look like to follow Jesus. You are going to, follow, you are going to have great suffering. Well, that's what Jesus himself says. If you come after me, you will suffer. Why would I suffer and not have you suffer? Not anyone ever like sat down someone trying to walk them to Christ and be like, hey, by the way, when you come to know Jesus, life's going to get worse. Now, it's going to get better, but it's going to get worse. I mean, right? Like the deeper intimacy I have with God, then I've got to believe what Paul and Jesus say. There is this enemy that's going to come against me. And so the more holy I get, the more, uh, I better use my words wisely, upset Satan gets. Because before coming to know Christ, I was no threat to the enemy. But I come to know Jesus, now I become a threat to Satan's kingdom, and Satan is going to do whatever he can to cause me not to walk with God. Because I, I'm advancing one kingdom over the other kingdom. As long as I'm advancing Satan's kingdom, he's like, man, good to go. But the moment I make a decision to follow Christ in all of his ways, then the attack, the onslaught from Satan is going to come against us. But I don't know about you, I haven't heard too many people tell that part of the salvation story. 
Again, life gets better, but I promise this, life gets harder. Are we willing to count the cost to follow Christ? Again, in your life, in my life, in the life of this church, what relationships do we need to let go of? What relationship with ourselves do we need to let go of? What relationship with the world do we need to let go of? And now he says this as a way of application at the end. He says, because if you don't do this, you're like bad salt. Right? He says it in verse 34. I love when the Bible gives application and I don't have to come up with an application. This is his application, not my application. He says this, salt is good. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. You are what of the world? Salt of the world. He says salt is a great thing, and salt in the world is a great thing. But he says when you don't count the cost, then salt becomes a bad thing. It becomes worthless and useless. He says, but if salt lost its taste, how shall it be salty again? How can it be restored? What Jesus is saying is this. When salt loses its flavor, it cannot regain its flavor. Like there's no way to infuse salt into salt. Once it's gone, it's gone. And he says, now it's worthless. Which he's saying to you and I, if you're not willing to count the cost, you will become saltless and you will become worthless. I didn't say that. That's God's word. And then he says this. And when you become worthless for me, you get what? Tossed out. That's not my words. That's God's word. Get mad at him. He says, how can it be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure. Gosh, like salt isn't even good for manure? That's what he says. He says it has to be thrown away. It has to be, in other words, in other places we see Jesus says, you will be what? Cast out of my presence. And then he says this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What he is saying in that text, you see this throughout the Gospels, is this, this is really, really important. It's really important how you count the cost because I do not want you to lose your flavor. I do not want you to lose your saltiness. But you will lose your saltiness if you're not continuing to count the cost of what it means to follow me. If you stay in bad relationships, you will become saltless. If you stay in poor relationship with yourself, you'll become saltless. If you stay in poor relationship with the world, you'll become saltless. And then he says, then I've got to get you out of here. That's God's word, not my word. Another way that he would say this is this. There is such a thing as perseverance of the saints. Saints that come to know Jesus will persevere all the way to end. You will never lose your saltiness. And now he uses that word salt. He uses the word salt and he says, this is how you know if you're still, still salty. Three things that salt was used for. Those three things are for, for, to preserve something. Like in that day, they, they didn't have ice makers. They didn't have refrigerators. So what they would have to do to preserve their meat was pack it with salt. 
because that salt was an agent to preserve things. Are you and am I counting the cost? And are we preserving this lost and dying world? The next thing is this. Not only are we to do that, to preserve things, but salt was also used to purify things. You ever got a cut and poured salt in it? It burns. But what is it burning for? It's because it's purifying the wound. And so what Jesus is telling us, if we are to be salty, we are going to create a burn in this world. Or is your life and in my life, is there nowhere that people around us are like, man, when you come around, it hurts. Well, how come it hurts? It hurts because we are showing the world that it cannot live that way. But we're acting as people to purify a world. What are we doing to purify a world? Why are we purifying a world? Because we are wanting for the king to return. And so we are making ready for Christ's return. And we do that through purifying the world. He's called us to do that. The last thing is this. Salt does this to the body. It makes us super parched. Which makes us super thirsty. Which means this for us. Are we acting in such a way that's leaving a lost and dying world around us thirsty. Like when I come around and you come around and this church comes around, is this community around us thirsty for more? Because then we get to offer them what is what Jesus tells us in John 4, chapter 4. I am the living water. Whoever comes to me will what? Never thirst again. But we are being used by God to create in the people that are far from him this thirst for him so that then we can give them something they're thirsty for. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? My question to us here at Powell's Chapel this morning is this as a way of application. Have we truly counted the cost to follow Jesus? And in counting the cost, are we acting as men and women as a church that is sent by God to preserve, to purify, and to create parchedness in people to come to know Him? I want to leave you with this question this morning. What would it look like for us here at Powell's Chapel to count the cost, to follow Him? And what would it look like for us to be a church that would do those three things in this community. Early on in my walk with the Lord, one of my mentors said this about the church. It has stuck with me forever. Would our community feel the lostness of this church if we were to go away tomorrow? Or would our community just to continue to go on like it's always gone on. You see, if we act as agents of Christ, as ambassadors, the world around us must feel our absence when God calls us home. Would our community feel the impact 
of this church, if it were to be removed by God tomorrow, would it, the community around us feel it? If it doesn't feel it, then I'd say we haven't counted the cost following Jesus. Let us count the cost as we follow Christ. Let's pray this morning.